0: Welcome to the Law of Startups podcast. I'm Mike Schneider.
1: And I am Joe Wallen. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, today we are lucky to have on the show with us John Croy. John is the co-founder of a great company here in uh, the Seattle area called Point Inside. Welcome to the show, John.
2: Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Mike. Glad to be here. Yeah.
1: So, John, tell us about tell us about
2: um, Point Inside. Tell us about what it is um, and kind of how, how it started. Sure thing. So, so Point Inside is fundamentally a mapping company. And we saw... need for higher fidelity maps, specifically indoors. Uh, My partner, Josh Marty and I, uh, co-founders, had both been in the location technology business for about 10 years prior to founding Point Inside, and we saw what was happening in the location technology space, and we knew that indoor positioning technology was inevitable. However, if you were to take that GPS unit, and walk through the Bell Square Mall or SeaTac Airport or Target, you would not get uh, a good blue dot. It would not be accurate enough indoors. That's coming. That is that's on the horizon. It's actually here today. Um, but in 2009, we knew that was something that was on the horizon. But we, there was a huge void in the underlying maps in the underlying application space to make that a reality for the market. And so that's thus the genesis of the idea. Great. So you work with retailers to help them understand how people
1: are moving around, uh, how people are utilizing their space, utilizing their facilities, shopping in their stores.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So it it starts with, because the location technology part of the business wasn't a reality yet in 2009, we had to create all this application functionality that was valuable in other ways, absent location technology. So uh, certainly a map provides an organizational system, a contextual basis for um, the shopper or for the store operations uh, you know, to execute their tasks. Um, organizing the system based on space, physical space, is just the reality of every day. Right When we talk to a retailer, we say, you want your manager to stay in the store. You don't want them to have to go back to the office and reference a system. You want them to be thinking about the store all the time. And so that's what the map does. It, it provides that context. Um, the uh, there's other things that the map does. From an organizational system, it provides the shopper with the ability. What's the What's the most frequently asked question in a, in the you know the United States today, and probably the the commercial world today is, you know, besides "Hi, how are you doing?" It's probably "Did you find everything you're looking for?" You know, right. millions and millions of cashiers, clerks, checkout uh, sales folks are saying, "Did you find everything you're looking for?" Every day, and it's because it's a massive retail problem. Uh, one retail partner of ours uh, thinks that they're losing about $4 billion sa- in sales every year. And that's this is based on studies they've done where they've intercepted shoppers that have walked out of their store. They're in their parking lot getting into their car, and they said, Did you find everything you're looking for? No, I came here to buy X. And then the, the retailer will go back, and they'll confirm that X is in the store, and it's on the shelf and available, but it was just not found. Okay. Uh, that's a $4 billion problem for one retailer. All right, so this is a, a massive problem, just finding what people are looking for, and, and maps help people do that.
1: Yeah, I, that sounds like a really interesting problem. I, I, I know that you know, stores have spent years and years trying to think about their space, space utilization, you know, where they place the milk you know, relative to the meats or something. I mean, there's lots of thought that's gone into this, uh, but I suppose it's still, I mean, without really good data... I mean, how, how historically prior to technology, like the new technology, how did retailers sort of figure this out? Did they just post people in stores to watch how people behave, and then and do some sort of surveys and samples to try to get a sense of things?
2: Well, the 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 really the first breakdown, you know, a big problem is that, right? So how do I tackle this problem? Well, I have to break my store into departments, yeah. um, and then I and then I have to think about how do I procure that those items how do i choose the right products and how do i put them at the right price so that people will actually buy them how do i put them in the right place in my stores right it's all about the p's the 4 p's um, and so they they break down the 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 store into different departments they break down their buying organizations into different departments and then they start executing those buying tasks and if you have a large store right if if you're george bartel 75 years ago it's pretty easy for you to buy all that product and kind of manage you know your one or two stores and um, and you don't need a lot of technology to help you keep that in your mind. But as you start to grow, right, a, a, a large multi uh, thousand store chain, they've got dozens, if not hundreds, of people that are responsible for buying their product. And so they, they organize that in, in terms of who's going to buy the product. And um, most organizations, most retailers use a thing called a planogram to organize that shelf space. So, Joe, let's say you're in charge of cough and cold. And Mike, you're in charge of pain relief for a, a local pharmacy. You might have 24 feet of shelf space you have to fill. And Mike, you have 30 feet of shelf space you have to fill. And uh, now you start negotiating with the vendors that can provide you with that product. And then the negotiations begin, right? And so the sales guys come in, they present their wares, and you say, oh yeah, Tylenol is going to sell at X rate. The sell through of Tylenol is going to be you know X. The sell through of Advil is going to be Y. Aleve is going to be Z. And, you know, how much money can I get from just selling the product? How much, you know, how much assistance am I going to get from the vendor, the consumer product company that in terms of promotional ads and coupons and things to help sell more of it? Right. So all these negotiations go on behind the scenes to help people uh, figure out where am I going to put my product and how am I going to put it? But a lot of it's these back office kind of handshake deals that are saying, Thailand, I want Tylenol to be front and center because we know front and center sells best. So that we call that microspace planning, and that's where you really are thinking about just that linear feat that you're responsible for stocking, right? And now, Joe, remember, you've got a target that your boss has said you need to make, uh, you know, 4% profit, and you have to sell this much revenue. Uh, and so you want to make sure you have the right products on the shelf to do that, but you also have to manage all these vendors. So, but you're only thinking within your aisle, you're not thinking next to your aisle, you're not thinking across from your aisle, you're not thinking within the store contextually. So what Point Inside has done is we've brought a system that takes hundreds of millions of products every day across thousands of retailer retail locations every day, and we understand that unique product location time, right? We know exactly where Tylenol is today, where it was yesterday, where it was the day before. We can even predict where it's going to be tomorrow, right? Because the stores change. The stores are living, breathing organisms as people go in and out of the store. It, you have this pulse of the store that happens as product comes and goes, seasonality changes. Um, and so it's a very, very complex organism to try and understand um, without insights into data. And so we've, you know, we've created a massive data system, all organized on top of a map right to understand the impact of location on the product. Hmm.
0: Yeah, so did you guys have the domain knowledge going you mentioned you were in the location space before you you started the company? Did you also have some this sort of insight into how the retail space worked or is that something you learned as you as you as you grew the new company?
2: We had you know, I had a little bit of experience. It's hard to claim that you have domain knowledge of something as huge right. as retail. Um, I did work for a consumer products company that sold into retail, so I had some insights into how the sales process worked and how those how those how some of those deals worked. Um, we were selling sports medicine equipment uh, into drugstores, and we could not get beyond. We got four feet. That's all. Hmm. You get four feet of space. And we couldn't get more. And, and the reason we couldn't get more is because our competitor had a leverage product. They, had, they sold hypodermic needles for uh, diabetic patients or people that needed to buy syringes from the, uh, from the pharmacy. And they said, if you don't give us 16 feet of sports medicine space, then we won't sell you our needles anymore. And of course, were the most profitable needles. So there's all sorts of leverage mm-hmm. that goes on in these consumer product companies to have the right mix of product. So I had a little bit of insight into it, but not a lot. I knew a little bit about how planograms are organized and a little bit about floor planning, uh, but mostly it was, it was um, we understood technology, we understood the location technologies, we understood mapping technologies to a degree. We weren't even mapping experts, believe it or not. Um, but we understood that you know, the application space and the data organization is really what's going to make this thing successful.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that that Point Inside is a great example of is, um, you know, I have known you for a, a long time and uh, and I've I've been involved and, and followed Point Inside for quite a while. I, I remember early on in the App Store, uh, I know Point Inside probably doesn't consider itself like an app specific company uh, because it's kind of based on location and indoor uh, mapping, and it's such a such a broad enterprise kind of play. But but. You you guys emerged around the same time that the app store was coming into existence and mobile phones with apps were starting to become popular and there was a there was a sense that there was this really massive opportunity that existed and um, and a lot of people jumped in and went after those those um, went after various business ideas in that space and I think the choice that you guys made to focus on um, an enterprise product uh, that's more of a platform and not specific to a, a single app. Um, was a good move. And, and I mean, it shows in a sense that you guys are still going strong you know, while lots of other app companies or, you know, companies that, have, that were basically launched around that same time based on the same wave, you know, some of those have crashed and burned because they were, you know, either a single product or, or too, too focused on the app store as their only means of distribution. Um, I don't know. I guess I'd love to put myself in your shoes and hear about the thought process. Uh, you know, when you were starting the company, how you how you honed in on this particular idea, and how you decided enterprise versus consumer, and and you know where to spend your time. So it's a, that's an issue that I think faces just every founder. Um, you know, what direction to go.
2: Yeah, I don't think we have enough time to go into all of those details, <laughs> yeah. but um, it, you know, well, let's start with the app store decision, which is uh, you know that was that was a bit of a a point of contention uh, in the early days, you know, are we an app? Are we the point inside app, which still, believe it or not, gets some use. We have it out there because we still have some loyal fan base and people are still trying to find the restrooms in the, in the mall or uh, trying to find coffee in the airport. Um, and we still even have some enterprise customers there. You know, uh, folks like JetBlue are still uh, and, and, and others are still using our apps for airports. Um, uh, but, you if trying to figure out, are we going to be an app or a platform, in my opinion, it, it was, well, let's, let's think about how the user, how the, how the user base wants to interact. And we saw this huge revolution that started with Steve Jobs and the iPhone in 2007, was it? right? And that was really, really kind of when Josh and I looked at each other and said, okay, now is the time. Because we saw the very first iPhone ad featured Maps. Uh, I don't know if you remember the hand, holding the phone, interacting with the map, you know, around San Francisco looking for pizza or something. And we knew that it, they made location free. It was no longer something that the carrier could could uh, contain. And they, they put maps front and center. So we knew that mobile was kind of, mobile first was uh, kind of our mantra. Um, but in order to make a good mobile experience and something that's scalable, you have to have a services layer. And so we decided to make the apps more about presentation, animation, and you know ease of use, and put all of the the heavy lifting of the data in, into a platform. And so that kind of turned us, by default, into a platform company um, rather than an app company where we're trying to spend you know and do everything uh, in the app. We also made some decisions not to be. Try to, to maintain a fashionable, trendy app. We wanted to embrace kind of the common controls that were out there and really just focus on what's, what's the data that's needed to create that experience. Um, and there's a handful of engineers that we've hired over the years that have really helped us focus on making sure that we stay aligned to that because, you know, uh, as many startups, you know, the founders are always coming up with crazy ideas, and so you need your base of good employees to keep you honest and keep you focused. Um, it's a relationship.
1: Yeah. So the indigestion problem. I mean, what was the saying? More startups of indigestion than than lack of opportunity or something like that. Right. Right. How do you how do you how do you decide not what to do?
2: Well, the, we, we, that's a great uh, great point, uh, Joe. We for us, one of the great things about our startup was you know it was all it was always about maps, right? But then, it, in, in what's interesting is that almost every single person you talk to connects with that concept. Um, almost every person you talk to uses a map. There are the rare few people that think hierarchically or they want to drill down through a series of, you know, uh, menus or something. But for the most part, maps are great contextual organizational systems and that connect with people. And And everyone loved the idea, and everyone had their own idea. Like, oh, I was I just took a cruise, or I just was in Vegas, or I just was at a trade show, or I just was at this museum, and, man, it would have been great if I could have had access to this information. Um well, it comes down to that. That's that was kind of the key to our startup is that we connected right away. There was a connection, and there was multiple opportunities. So we didn't like if you if you were to ask Josh and I back in two thousand nine, um, are are you know are we going to go into retail? I don't know that we would have definitively said retail is where we want to be. We just knew that there was a dozen different opportunities to build a business off of the the infrastructure of maps. Um, And as we started to explore those opportunities, right, we first started with malls uh, because a few, five, six companies own most of the major malls. Um, So it makes sales easy. You can sell to five and get a 1,000 malls. Uh, That's pretty appealing. Um, Airports uh, had a little bit more revenue opportunity um, because they were harder to map and there was a little bit more of a use case there. Um, But there was a much harder sale. You couldn't go to one company and get 10 airports. You know, in fact, you can go to one airport and have to deal with five companies. I mean, right. JFK is owned by five or six or seven different people. Mm-hmm. So it makes it very difficult to get that data and, and actually work with it. But because of that, because it's hard, people don't like to do it. That's where opportunity lies. So we, we started airports and then we started thinking about the market in general. And what makes a market? And, and Mike, you probably understand this as well as anyone. Is like you have to have users, right? And you have to have the ability for to drive users to that app to make value. And and retail has the unique opportunity where they have thousands of people walking through their doors every day. They're already doing you know signage and promotions. Um, adding signage for their adding signage for their uh, their app is something they're probably going to do anyway. So let's see if we can pile on the retail thing and explore that.
0: Was it tough? um, So, I mean, I I guess early on, you you started out with with, uh, you and Josh and then grew, I, I think, pretty quickly. I'm curious to know... As you started to pursue these enterprise opportunities, um, you know what what that looked like. Because as a as someone who's mostly focused on consumer based uh, products that I've worked on in the past, uh, the, one of the things that's always intimidated me about doing uh, like an enterprise product is is the concern that selling into the enterprise might be more difficult than I expect. Um, so, like, I don't know if you had you had some experience with that before you came to the company, but did you guys? You hire a sales force. Did the two of you start calling on, calling on customers directly? I mean, ha, how did you, how did you, um, start approaching people when you, when you started to sell the enterprise? Um, you know, and did you, did you do it with a small team or did you have to grow something bigger?
2: You know, we've, we've, we've been fortunate to keep it small. Um, and the Josh and I both have enterprise experience and there's a third co-founder, Brian Wilson, who is with us at the, at the early stages as well. And, and all three of us were enterprise guys. Um, we we participated in consumer experience, consumer pro- products, um, but mostly as a, a B to, B to c So this was naturally part of what we did. in um, having the confidence to walk into, you know, I'd spent the last 10 years walking into wireless carriers and selling into, you know, sprints and Verizons and at and of the world. Um, even a little bit Apple and some of the other you know large companies like that. So going into an enterprise and, and representing a solution to an enterprise is something we were comfortable with, much more comfortable than uh, building a consumer product. I think, you know, that, to me, building a consumer product is an, an enormous risk. Um, uh, the opportunity's enormous, right? If you actually come up with a great consumer product, uh, you know, like Angry Birds, boy, you know, you can do well for a number of years that with with that, uh, but what you know? What is that one in a million, one in ten thousand? That's extremely, extremely hard to do. But that's why the VCs like it because they're out there and they're they're just throwing their their seeds everywhere, hoping that one of them grows into a you know a, a huge tree, uh, and they'd be happy with a few blades of grass and then seven or eight dead seeds. Um, the uh, uh, because that's that's the game that works for them. That's just how that's just the the formula that works for venture capital. But for me, you know, we we just tried to build a business. We've all, we, Josh and I, have always been focused on let's just create value, and not worry about um, uh, really anything else. And so we we were the ones that were out there doing the early sales. I did a lot of the really really early sales, um, and then. Uh, as we started to get into, you know, more focused on retail, Josh started selling more. We hired a, a gentleman named Pete Coleman, uh, who's been with us for four or five years now, who's been um, leading sales for a long time. Um, and just now, as the, it, it, one thing we didn't do is over-invest in sales and marketing. We we kind of kept pace with the market. And now as the market has, you know, I would say there's there's were no fast followers in what we did, but now... now Thank you, Amazon, by the way, with Amazon go and and some of the pressure you're putting on on the retail environment, now people are trying to figure out how are they going to compete digitally uh, through their brick and mortar stores and that's really what's caused our explosion and our need to hire more salespeople now.
1: Yeah, so what's so look, looking ahead to 2017 is 2017 going to be going be a, a good or bad year for, for, for physical retailers. I saw, I saw a report that indicated that there's, I mean, it's just going to be, I mean, Amazon and the other sort of online retailers are really making things competitive.
2: Oh, my God. They're, they're killing it. Uh, and they're making it so easy and so price competitive and so uh, instantaneous, right? You know, part of the retail experience is I need it now. Uh, I went to a Best Buy over the weekend. I needed a cable, right? And I right. didn't want to wait three days because that's the fastest I could get this particular cable on Amazon. So I went to Best Buy and had a what I would consider not a great in-store retail experience. The sales clerk didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know they carried the product that I was looking for, even though it was sitting there on the shelf. Um, and I was in the right department talking to the right guy. He still didn't know it, right? So um, they, all retailers are going to need to improve their in-store experience um, to to compete with this uh, ever maturing dynamic. Online experience, um, but to me that represents a massive opportunity for Point Inside. And you know, I sent out my annual New Year's Day hey Point Inside email, um, and I, I, it was very heartfelt for me because I, you know, I truly feel like 2017 is going to be a huge year for Point Inside because there is so much pressure from the e-commerce players um, that uh, these stores have to change to compete. Do
1: you think? Okay, so. Do you think that um, online retailers who then go into physical spaces like Amazon has done with its bookstore, do you think they have an advantage having started online?
2: <laughs> I don't know. Um, it. I didn't think uh, – Nat Burgess was on the podcast a few weeks ago, right? So I. It, Nat bought Apple stock back in 2001, 2000, 2001 when it was at you know, $15, $17 a share. He's like, they're going into the store business. What do you think? You know? I know. I
1: thought it was insane. But that was – Okay, so jo- when Jobs came, that was after Jobs came back. By he a year came back, or two, yeah, a year, yep. six months or whatever. He came- when he came back, the stock was as low as I think four dollars a share or something. I- but yeah, when I heard the announcement that that they're going to open stores, I thought, man, that seems really. I
2: I thought it was the death of Apple.
1: Yeah, and I I yeah, and then Microsoft of course followed them, but not for years later, right? Well, um- the
2: thing that Apple did did which is which is what I think is going to happen with Amazon and some of these other large dot coms is that. They reinvented the store, right? How many times could you walk into a retail store? Like, think about that first Apple Store experience. You know, it was a, a high-demand product, but it was also it was also just organized differently. It was merchandised differently. It was more of a showroom experience with the stock in the back. Somebody in a headset would come up and, uh, you know, help you make the right purchase decision um, and then bring that product out to you, and, you'd, and they'd ring you up right there, and you'd walk out with it. Right, and that was a that was a pretty interesting experience. It was also a, a very high uh, value experience. You could see the Genius Bar for the first time ever. They brought they distributed customer service from the call center out to the the stores. And so, not only does that attract people into the store when they want to buy something, but it attracts people into the store when they want to talk to somebody smart about it. Right. And then you can look at all the cool, sexy gadgets on this on the tables. And um, I think that what they did is redefine merchandising. They created more of a showroom experience with high value to the consumer. Um, uh, now they had the luxury of price margin, right? You can't do that in grocery because you just can't sustain a high value, uh, high high price, low margin thing. Um, but you're seeing some innovation in that space now, where uh, Publix in as Flor- a Florida southeastern based grocery store, they're running cooking schools, right? So they're they're trying to figure out how do I take a You know, they shut down the liquor store that's adjacent to their grocery. They opened a cooking. They created a kitchen. They're running cooking schools, and so they they bring people in to to learn more about cooking. And they assume that if you know more about cooking, you're going to buy more, you know, things from their store. And uh, so they're you know the retailers are having to compete in different ways now to create that high value, high touch experience. Um, And so the pressure is going to be enormous. So your question is, can the dot com people? Entering the brick-and-mortar space, be competitive and compete and win. I think Apple's shown us that yes is the answer. However, you can't underestimate the difficulty of uh, running a multi-chain or multi-store chain um, uh, environment, right? Amazon has the luxury. Well, not Amazon. It's a bad experience. But a lot of dot-coms have the luxury of running one store, right? They have, you know, Joe.com sells Joes and and, and you've got one warehouse, maybe two or three that you're shipping goods out of, or maybe you're shipping direct from the, the supplier. It's a lot easier than running a, a massive supply chain with a networked uh, store and, and the, the physical assets that are required. And, and keeping the, the personnel, the store associates, um, trained and productive is um, years and years and years of uh, problems that have been solved by the retailer. So it's not going to be easy. Certainly, they can do it. The biggest opportunity is going to be redefining that experience, like Amazon Go and some of these people are trying to do. Apple did a great job. Can Amazon do it? You know, the jury's still out. Um, but the retailers have a huge embedded physical presence, lots and lots, billions of assets out there you know, supporting that today. So it's it's an enormous cliff to climb.
0: Yeah, do Apple stores still have, like, the highest profitability per square foot of uh – of any retailer? I think it was – I can't remember if they were the highest or, and Tiffany's was second or if, or if it was the other way around.
2: They're right up there, yeah. And, you know, of course, it doesn't hurt when you're selling $800 mobile yeah,
0: it's devices. it's nice to have a good at, product to sell yeah. <laughs> with, with a high margin and a, and a high yes. price point.
2: Uh, however, Starbucks is right up there too, right, with a $5 product or a $0.50 cent product that's now a $5 product. Um, so – Yeah, Starbucks was the first person or the first enterprise to kind of transform the revenue per square foot numbers uh, back in the early 90s. And then Apple did it in in the 2000s. So maybe Amazon will do it again now here in the 2020s
0: you know when Microsoft first started their store, the, one, the the one that I remember is the one that opened up across the street from the Apple store in University Village. Um, it fell to me like a like a complete knockoff of the of the Apple store. I mean, so many things about it were similar. But lately, I've gone into Microsoft stores and they feel a lot different. I think they've evolved it a bit and they don't they don't feel like a clone anymore. Um, and in some ways, I think that that the experience. Well, I don't know if it's better in the Microsoft store, but it, it feels fresher. Um, the Apple approach has been kind of, I, I don't know, the same for a long time. Um, it, it feels brighter and, and, uh, I don't know. It seems like there's a wider variety of things to see at the, at the Microsoft store lately. That might just yeah. be a a, 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 side product of the, of the Apple product line versus Microsoft's product line lately.
2: It could be. I mean, the surface is certainly pretty successful product of late. Um, Microsoft's done a lot to invest in their stores. I know a few people that work in the stores uh, group at Microsoft um, that are pretty innovative in their thinking and how they're trying to create that environment. Um, but that's just a great example of that, you know, there's so much, it's so much more than just brick and mortar, right, that creates that environment within the store. It, so much of it is, you know, the, the store experience teams, the people that work there, you um, let alone the the, you know, the infrastructure to keep the product on the shelves at the right time. So um, it's you know Microsoft's a multi billion dollar company and you know that can invest in that. Fortunately, uh, so that's that's just another example of how it's not going to be easy for people to get into that that store uh, mentality. Right. So what
1: do you see? Like so, in the future, you see uh, <clears throat> you see your sales associates wearing like a like an AR headset or something that enables them to. Know that something's in the store. I mean, that, that story you told me about about your recent retail experience. I wonder if I wonder if there had been a, a, an Alexa-enabled device on a table. That device probably would have could have told you. Does this store have the following item?
2: Yeah, uh, Alexa and a new skill. I, you know, I don't we're know. we're experimenting with natural language processing. We're in some partnerships with some pretty big firms. I'm sure you'd all know, recognize the letters involved in these firms. Um, we'll be at NRF uh, with with a couple of these guys, but the. Um, that's the National Retail Federation big show. So, um, but the uh, you know being able to just whether it's a, an Alexa device or a watch or a phone, being able to to speak into your device and say, "Hey, where can I find uh, you know a swivel HDMI connector or where can I find a coaxial uh, connector or whatever it is that you're looking for," is is huge. And and if the 17 year old, 11 to 15 an hour minimum wage employee. Uh, doesn't know how to answer that question you know you, as a retailer you could you could lose that sale um, and worst you could create a sour taste in that shoppers experience and so uh, we're you know we're experimenting with how do you create that Alexa like uh, cortana like you know natural voice hey where can I find uh, earbuds where can I find masking tape whatever it is you're looking for so right. creating different ways to interface with the with the shopper is critical and, and you know we have the ability now to, to type earbuds into a text message uh, and send it to a short code, and that short code responds back with uh, a map showing exactly where earbuds are within your local target. Cool. Um, uh, so that's just a you know a text interface versus a voice interface. They're all out there, and we, right. you, you've got to keep up. And there's amazing stuff that's happening now. Now that you've got indoor location technologies that are coming around and actually viable in indoor, um, you can start doing things with AR and VR as well. Um, When we first got started, everyone was really happy about this because they wanted to create a VR experience um, where you could just hold your phone up and search for something and it would point you to exactly where it would be. But the physics just didn't work out. The angles were too, too constrained. When you're searching for the Space Needle and you're in downtown Seattle, You've got a long distance to play with, and you can, you know, if you're off by a few degrees, uh, it's not that big of a deal. But when you're in a 200 by 200 store, if you're off by 10 degrees, you know, you're sending somebody to the left corner of the store versus the right corner of the store, uh, and that's a that's a bad experience. So, um, yeah, uh, another interesting story, kind of to your comment, Joe, is when we first launched Meyer, uh, not Fred Meyer, but Meyer, uh, back uh, a retailer in Michigan. Um, they were our first retail customer, and we launched. We we were contacted by their CMO, and we launched the product within five months. So it was an amazingly fast uh, go-to-market. And that, Mike, to your point, shows that we actually were thinking more in terms of platform rather than you know app infrastructure, because it was easy to build a new Meijer UI, app UI, on top of the platform. So that's one of the reasons we were able to, to launch it so quickly. But as soon as we launched it, the CMO calls us back and says, oh, crap, we just empowered our shoppers with more information than our employees.
1: Right. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about. I was thinking about this in terms of, uh, you know, I mean, the historical parallels are, well, it used to be that the church had the, you know, the printing press or whatever. And right. <laughs> and, then, and then all of a sudden people had it. And then it's sort of the same thing here. It's like pretty soon you're, and, and we're seeing this in medical too, right? Your shoppers, your consumers, they they'll, they'll have more access. They'll have more access than the professional or the... And that creates a weird, a weird dynamic. Yeah, and I'm not sure how. I mean, it makes it it makes the businesses, uh, it just makes it harder. To, 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 where's your? Where, where are you showing? Where are you providing value now?
2: So yeah, so we you know we, when we started, we didn't have the 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 uh, term for you know trademarked or phrased at this point, um, but you know we call our basic product store mode, right? And so that is your app goes into store mode, which means. Uh, it might be a, a more of a dot-com thing when somebody's outside of the store, but when they're approaching inside the store or inside the store, you want it, you want that app to be in store mode. Uh, so that, that in-store experience is supported through your app experience, and it's uh, a very complementary thing. Um, so we started off with store mode, and then based on that comment uh, by Jeff Handler, the CMO at Meyer, we quickly developed an ops mode uh, product, which allowed the store associate to interface with our platform as well. And so this... This gets down to, well, what does the store associate need? Well, they need to support the the shoppers as much as they need to support themselves. So um, if somebody – if, Joe, you walk in the store and say, you know, where can I find earbuds and that guy doesn't know, well, pull out your employee app uh, and all of a sudden he's got easy access to information. And then he can also take advantage of that moment to say – and by the way, the Lowe's – Consumer app also supports this functionality. You can self-service the next time if you'd like to. Right. Uh, and so there's, an, there's, there's a double benefit there. They get to promote their app, they get to, pr- and they get to help the, the shopper. Um, so, but there's other functions that they do inside the store that's really important from an operational standpoint, like stocking the shelves. Uh, Lowe's is another example of where they're actually using our technology to print the labels on the boxes at their supply regional distribution centers, so that, that when they offload those things from the truck to the sales floor, they know exactly where to take them uh, and they know exactly where to set that product. So it improves their operational efficiency as well. And there's dozens and dozens. In fact, there's probably equal or more opportunity to save money operationally using our platform than there is to create a customer experience. Right. So you don't overstock. Yeah. The overstock is, uh, they've kind of got a handle on certain things. Okay. Uh, overstock is one of them. Okay. Yeah. Um, fi- uh, Home Depot has has said that our associates on the floor spend more time looking up than they do looking at shoppers or or executing. It's because they're they're trying to find the stock that they've right. put away in in top stock. They don't have a warehouse in back. They just have all this top stock available. And so, you walk up and say, "I'd like to buy a mini fridge," and they go over to their computer and they look it up and they say, "Oh, there's three of them, you know, here." They're supposed to be an ILG, you know, or 41B or whatever it is. And they go over to, to that location, and lo and behold, there's none there. So then they begin the big adventure of looking up and looking around for, well, where did Mike, who was driving the fork truck yesterday, put the, the refrigerators when he was offloading them? Um, and yeah, of course, they try and put them above where they're supposed to be, but right. how often is there? You know, does that work out? Right. Same thing happens at Costco, right? If that tide is not on the floor, when you walk by to pick up that tide, they're losing Hundreds of dollars per minute in people not picking up that tide, and you know, poor Sean who unloaded the tide truck uh, didn't have place to put it, and there's he sets it over you know in another location. They could spend an hour trying to find that tide before they pull it down. They've just lost thousands of dollars of sales because that product wasn't on the floor. So, improving the operations is a big, big deal. Right. Tiny little savings in time. Yeah.
1: Result in lots of dollar savings. Yeah. And you far think, better customer experiences too, because it is super frustrating when you. It's such a, a crazy mentality, but when people are shopping, they just start to. I mean, I do the same thing. It's like I can't believe it. I've been waiting in line for. I get all you know, bent out of shape because I w- was waiting in line or something. Or I, people are people are touching. Yeah,
2: <laughs> and, and, and sophisticated retailers actually put a time a cost to all that time. Right. So uh, I know that Target assesses. Um, a cost per minute of wait time in, right. in your if you're in line and so um, they know that if you're there for three minutes five minutes seven minutes eight minutes you know all these things add to the cost of them doing business with you it might not be a true hard cost but there's cost there
1: right interesting so give us some more predictions about the movement the movement in the industry in the next couple of years I mean what do, what do we what do you think is gonna happen
2: in the mobile industry or the retail industry, both?
1: Both, yeah. Let's talk about mobile and retail. But I'm especially interested in retail because, I, I mean, you spent a lot of your time there. You must have some pretty strong opinions about the movement of the, movement of the, the industry as a whole.
2: I think that brick-and-mortar retail, which is a multi-trillion dollar business, is on the, still on the forefront of a major revolution. Um, as they go from a predominantly analog, you know, 90% analog business to something that's much more digital. Um, and they're going to need platforms that help them organize their data and interpret their data in ways that they've never done that before. Um, uh, it, it, it's probably bigger than point Point Inside. We'd like to think that we're, we're we're able to service that market. But the reality is, and from a startup standpoint, the reality is that... Um, we can't reach all the opportunities. It's such a big opportunity that we, we even if we had a double our company and became 250 people in size, and it was all sales and marketing folks, we still wouldn't be able to reach all of our opportunities. Um, and That's just how big I think that it is. Uh, and retailers are starting to understand it, and they're starting to move in this direction rather aggressively as they lose sales to dot-coms and other retailers that are embracing digital. So you're going to see a lot of opportunities um, changing. It's it you, you might hear the word omni-channel. It's interfacing with the shopper across multiple channels, right? So it's buy online, pick up in store, or curbside buy online. Pick you know have somebody drop. They'll pick it for you and, and drop it off at your car. Uh, companies like uh, Instacart and Shipt are doing this. Um, the uh, but still that you know, think about that. Somebody still has to execute a pick, right? So um, Meyer is using our software to go out and execute picks within their store. They opened up their curbside program and thought that their average order size would be somewhere in the neighborhood of 10. The average order size is somewhere in the neighborhood of 50. Hmm. Uh, and so they, they have, I can't remember what they call the folks that are going out and selectors. They have selectors that go out and pick the produce and pick the, you know, the pet foods and the, the, Boys, socks, and things off the shelves that are um, uh, in that order, but somebody has to go do that. And so, how do you organize and do that effectively? Well, you have to have a system that knows where the products are and right. can help that minimum wage uh, selector go around most efficiently. Because, like you said before, every minute matters. And right. if you can save, if you can save collectively forty, hundred hours of pick time, um, boy, you know you might have just made
0: profitability for that program. So, right.
1: Oh, that's really fascinating. Yeah, I, Mike, what are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I think it's an exciting area. It's something that most people, I don't think, have a lot of visibility into. Uh, you know, so it's interesting to hear hear someone who's who's in that space talk about it because I think everybody interacts with retail to some extent, but I'm not sure that we all think about kind of the uh, the the back end of it and all the all the details that go into putting products where they belong. and And I think it's a good example of you know, looking for opportunities for startups in places where that, that aren't obvious, you know, like everybody, um, you know, there's a big problem that developers and and, and a lot of entrepreneurs have where they, they build products that are for themselves, because that's sort of the viewpoint that they have. Um, you know, and it's just, it's just, I think this is a great reminder to think, think wider and think about the problems that are maybe invisible to most people, but that are that are worth solving, and they're valuable. So yeah, yeah thanks. Thanks for coming on and and, uh, and sharing that with us. I think it was a, uh, it's just good to get insight into what's happening in different different fields and and see hear, hear from somebody who's who's um you know really been successful. I mean in, in creating a company and growing it and uh, and turning it into something something that's really uh, viable and and um a healthy healthy business. So it's just nice to hear that path. So thanks for coming on. It was uh it was really great to have you. Um,
1: yeah, John, I really appreciate you having you coming on. I, I, uh, I guess one, one more I'll hit you with one more question, which is, it sounds to me like, and maybe I got, maybe I got the story wrong a little bit, but it sounds to me like you guys, you saw some technology evolving, and you just, you thought, well, this is, this is too exciting to pass up, but, but you, you, it sounds like you, 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 a little, to a little, to a little, to a little extent or to some extent, you kind of. Forged around and let the let the let the inter, enterprise customers help define the problem a little bit that you're going to solve. Did you? Oh, absolutely.
2: We we recognized that there was something there that the retailers would be greatly influenced by, and they had almost zero under. There might have been one or two people inside their entire organizations that had an inkling of understanding of what this meant, but as we positioned ourselves. We we said well let's help you understand what this means. Yeah. Um, some of our early relationships with some of our retailers were more consultative solutions. Right. You know let's let's help you evaluate this technology. Oh no we don't you know we don't need to charge for that right or maybe we'll charge you a, a very little amount right. compared to what you know some of the big integrators or big consulting houses might charge. Um, just help us cover our costs basically so we could establish a trusted partner relationship. Right. Um, And uh, yeah, we didn't really know, we didn't have the answer. We knew that there were certain conceptual things that were important, right? Finding product is important, but in order to do that you have to be able to locate the product. You have to actually have a search engine that um, thinks about the fact that every store is different, right? Every store is a snowflake is what we call it. Every store is fundamentally different. They have different product, they have different sell-through, different popularity, different things affect that store, Um, and you can't have one search engine for for store.com that's gonna work at every unique store. Hmm. Um, uh, our our buyer at one of our retailers um, used to do you know comparisons and he'd search for tile in Florida or tile in uh, Arizona or tile in Washington or grass in North Carolina or grass in Washington and, and the top search results are different because the, the stores sell things differently and you wanna put things that are relevant to that specific experience up front. So we didn't know that was, we knew conceptually that was important. Um, uh, but then there's nuances within that that we, you know, we just have to have our ears open all the time listening to what the, what the enterprise needs.
1: Right.
2: Um, fortunately, you know, we're, we're able to stay in front of it.
1: Well, thank you so much for being on the show, John. This was really, really fun. Yeah,
2: yeah. thank you. I appreciate
0: it. John Croy, Point Inside, how can people find out more if they want to, uh, to learn more about the company?
2: Well, there's the obvious one, Point uh, Of course, it's a, as our website you know stays static because we're focused on other things you know it's a, it gives you a, an inkling of what we do but uh, <laughs> the best way is just to reach out directly
0: that's great well thanks for being on the show everyone else thanks for listening we'll see you all next week